welcome to the Flat Rock Sports Podcast, your daily source for all things college football. And now your host, Christian Hunt. Morgantown, West Virginia is buzzing right now, right? After the arrival of five-star quarterback JT Daniels, right? He just is transferring in from Georgia. Now, Daniels looked good in his limited uh, playing time he had at Georgia, right? As he put up almost 2,000 yards, 17 touchdowns in just 10 games with the dogs, right? He was actually undefeated, okay? He was undefeated at Georgia as a starter. He went 10-0. and Now, here's where it kind of gets a little concerning, I think, if you're a West Virginia fan, right? He was battling injuries uh, in another quarterback that went on to win a national championship last year in Stetson freaking Bennett, right? And he never got his job back after that. But let's take another step back here, right? And let's see what happened. Why did he transfer to Georgia? Well, he was at USC, and he took over the starting uh, quarterback job there at USC, right, in his home school as a true freshman, only to be injured the next year and replaced by Caden Slovis, who has since transferred out to Pitt. Just of note. Now, Daniels, you know, like I said, with everything that kind of comes into this, Daniels needs to stay healthy. He needs to stay healthy. If he can stay healthy and stay on the field, there's no doubt in my mind he's a top 10 quarterback in, in this class, right? He doesn't, he's not getting the love, he's not getting the praise, but you got to think he was a really highly rated quarterback that came out. He looked a little shaky at times with, you know, at USC, but overall he did some good things, right? You know, USC was going through a lot of transformations then. And I, I think, like I said, I think if he stays healthy, he is a top 10 quarterback for sure. Now, how, how high up can he go from there? Well, again, you know, last year, think about this. Think about the quarterback players that ended up going out there, right? We just talked about Pitt. Kenny Pickett really was probably, I don't know how high up on a lot of boards he was last year, right? So that's the thing. JD, JT Daniels doesn't get a lot of love. But the good news for Daniels, is the Mountaineers are returning all five starting offensive linemen, right? That's going to go a long way because you're going to get a great offensive line to keep you healthy and to keep you upright last year, right? They didn't, you know, they didn't look terrible last year. They didn't look great either, but you're getting all five guys back. That is a huge thing here. Now, I like to always talk about the running backs here, right? As a quarterback, you know, one of the easiest things that can take pressure off you as a quarterback is having a run game to rely on. So now I don't have to throw the ball 50 times a game and put up 500 yards for us to win uh, a shootout, right? It's always easier when you can run the ball, control the clock, and I think they'll be able to do that a little bit. But they need some guys to step up, right? As they're going to have talented junior uh, running back Tony Mathis stepping up for him. He had 300 yards last year on the ground. So again, they got to find that guy in the backfield. You know, if Tony Mathis can step up and have a big year, maybe have about a thousand yards on the ground, probably have, ooh, I don't know, 10 touchdowns. They're going to look pretty good, I would say. <laughs> now, the offense, they're going to be leaning on uh, the returning wideouts, Bryce Ford Wheaton and Sam Jones. Now, Ford Wheaton had 575 receiving yards last year to go alongside of three touchdowns. And 
uh, Sam James had just over 500 receiving yards uh, while tying the team high of five touchdown catches, right? These are two guys, like I said, with Daniels, that offensive line. I'm looking for both of these guys to potentially get close to, if not break, the 1,000-yard mark. Now, they need to, like I said, they've got to be able to utilize Daniels, right? And their, their experienced offensive line, right? And if they can do that, if they can do that, they're going to have one of the most explosive offenses, in my opinion, in college football. You may be saying to yourself, well, Christian, they don't have, right? They don't have, uh, you know, the wide receivers or maybe the running backs that some of these other teams have. Well, yeah, but most other teams don't have five starting offensive linemen coming back. And most other teams don't have uh, their returning wide receivers, you know, coming back from last year. So those are great things that could potentially be a huge impact on this team, right? Now, let's take a look on the other side of the ball, right? The defense is going to have to retool, right? They're going to be returning four starters from last year, right? You return four starters, you got to replace seven guys out there. Now, it's a group that's going to be led, it's going to be filled out, you know, by a lot of transfers and rotational players from last year, you know, guys that weren't necessarily starters, but maybe they came in and they played a little bit here and there, and they got a lot more snaps down the, uh, down the road of the season, it's going to be a team led by defensive tackle Dante Steeles, who had a team high of seven sacks last year. All right. His running mate on the other side is returning senior defensive tackle Taj Alston, okay, who had five sacks last year. Here's the reality of the situation. Okay. If their defensive line can sort of do what Clemson's defensive line did last year, now I'm not saying they're going to put up 24 sacks and cause five turnovers or whatever have you. If they can match, you know, I would say that 15, maybe 20 sort of range right there, maybe just be just a little bit less productive. They're, that's going to go a long way for West Virginia, and that's going to help out some of the back-end players who we're going to get into here in just a second. Speaking of some of those guys, we've got linebackers, okay? The linebackers are going to be led by junior transfer Lee Kepoga, who had 42, uh, 42 tackles last year at Syracuse, okay, to go alongside of him you've got sam linebacker lance dixon and bandit linebacker jared uh, bartlett okay so those are going to be the guys in the front seven they're really going to be looking at to lean on here now we talked about the secondary a little bit now here's where the secondary has to step up okay they're going to be uh, rounded out by returning cornerback Charles Woods. All right. He tied the team high last year with two interceptions to go alongside of four pass breakups. Now in the backfield, you've got safety Hershey McLaurin, who transferred in from Jones Jr. College, where he had 36 tackles and five interceptions. Okay. So he's got some talent. The, the kid can obviously play, but how does that translate at this level? Right. I mean, there's always been good things that sort of happen with these junior college kids. They always come to play and they always seem to you know, for the most part, if they're highly decorated enough or whatever have you, it always seems to translate relatively quickly, okay? Now, the other corner spot's going to be manned by tr uh, transfer Marcus Floyd, who had seven career interceptions while at Murray State. So he can play, and he played at a lower level, just like we're talking about. You got to see how this translates. I want to see this translate in a effective way for that secondary, because again, in football, you want to get after the quarterback as much as possible, but that's not always going to happen. So if we can't generate that pass rush on certain downs, we need our guys to step up because these quarterbacks are deadly, especially in the Big 12. 
Now, the Mountaineers are coached by fourth-year head coach Neil Brown. Okay, he's accumulated a 17-18 and 18 record while at West Virginia. Okay, he's improved the team's record every year. He started off with a 5-7 and seven record his first year. He went 6-4 and four during the COVID year. And he went 6-7 and seven last year. And I believe they actually won a bowl game last year, so good on them. Now, the Mountaineers... Uh, they know that this is a make-or-break year for Brown, right? Is he has the most talent and experience that you're going to crave as a, fo a college football coach, right? He has, they've went out and they've eliminated a lot of excuses. He's got a returning quarterback who could be a top 10, uh, you know, quarterback, let, you know, let alone if you're a top 10 quarterback in some draft classes, you know, you might be a first round draft pick, right? You've got a very experienced starting offensive line. You've got uh, really talented defensive linemen and front seven guys that can come in and really make some things happen for you. They've got, again, you know, I like to use this word. They've got talented individuals back there who probably lack the experience at this level. But, man, if they can step up and they can have some solid years in, in that backfield, man, they will be doing good. Here's the other thing, too, that I think is interesting with this. Okay, with the Big 12 being broken up by 2025 right now by all intensive purposes, West Virginia needs to capitalize on this roster. Okay, they have this year and they, you know, it's kind of this is the year. If it's not going to happen this year, then it's just not going to happen, right? And they need that to translate into more talent on the recruiting trail going forward, right? If they can get this year to translate and they can have a successful year and somehow parlay that into a top 25 recruiting class, we're starting to build some momentum here. We're starting to be successful. We're starting to replace that success and we're starting to look forward, right? Now let's get into some more of the back end stuff here with this, right? I went through and I, I went through and I did, you know, our Flat Rock Sports strength of schedule, right? They actually had, they tied for the fifth hardest in all of college football. They have, they have one of the toughest schedules when you go break it down. Now, whenever I do anything involving strength of schedule, right, I normally look at how many times do they play on the road? How many top 25 teams do they play? How many top 10 teams do they play? And lastly, how many top uh, five teams are they playing? You know, if you're playing a top four or five team, you know, that's going to be significantly more difficult, especially if you're playing a top four or five team on the road, right? So they had the fifth hardest in all of the FBS. Now, my record prediction for them, when I first did this video, you know, I had them at seven and five. You know, when I first started doing my research for this video, I had them at seven and five, right? If you look at their record, and you think, okay, they've got this, 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 and this, and these are the teams they're playing. Who can they beat? Well, I think seven and five was a realistic uh, record for them, right? Which you know would still be a decent year for most West Virginia fans, right? But if you want to go a little bit more crazy here and say, hey, can they make it to the college football playoff? They could. They absolutely could, right? Now they they have to get going early. That's the key in this. They have to get going early. If they can get going early they have a chance to sort of be really good. And the thing with it is we don't know, you know, we don't know how good Texas is going to be this year, you know, with breaking in Quinn Ewers at quarterback, you know, I mean, especially last year, you know, if they have that inconsistent play that they had last year, it's not going to work for them, right? You know, then you go back and you look at Oklahoma, you know, they've got a new coach this year, so he may have a down year. Oklahoma may have a down year, right? You've got uh, Oklahoma State and Baylor, which in my opinion, you know, they are, they're they're kind of fighting for a lot of this stuff. They, want, they were competing for the championship, uh, not the championship, but the Big 12 championship last year. 
and Baylor ultimately ended up winning that. So good for them. You know, you don't know what Baylor you're necessarily going to get. You know, you could have a quarterback who comes out and has that sophomore slump for Baylor, right? So there is realistic possibility that, you know, a team like West Virginia gets hot early on. They go in, they start shocking people early on. And, you know, you get into a situation where the last month or whatever have you, they may only be a one-loss team right? They, they may be in a situation where they, they make it to the Big 12 championship game. Maybe they're a one-loss team. They get some help from somebody else out there and they lose, right? They could be undefeated, right? Nobody really knows this. But I think, again, you know, and to summarize all this up real quick, if the offensive line plays great, if JT Daniels comes out and is, stays healthy and can continue producing and get on the same page as these guys, they're going to have a good shot, right? The other side of that is, okay, just like we talked about, they're going to have to figure out who they can count on in the run game. They're going to have to have some of their pass catchers stepping up and putting up, you know, a little bit better year this year. And that's on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive side of the ball, like we talked about, they're going to have to generate pressure on, they've got a great defensive line. They're returning a lot of those guys from their defensive line. They're going to have to help and hope that those linebackers, you know, step up. They're going to have to hope that those transfers that played at those smaller levels can be plug-and-play guys that can really step up and have uh, phenomenal years, right, by all accounts. So it's going to be interesting to see, like I said, can they sort of, you know, mold all of this together, right? This is the reality, if you will, of college football for, you know, the, those mid-tier teams is, hey, you know, we've got a couple of uberly talented guys, you know, and we've got some returning guys coming back at the right positions, you know, can we string it together? And like I said, I, I think West Virginia is going to shock some people this year. My, you know, my, I gave you my realistic prediction. I'm going to go ahead and go with my best case. So it's not clickbait on this, right? Yeah, I think they're a dark horse. I think they're right now, I'm going to give them a dark horse top 15 rating. Call me crazy, but if you can finish inside of, uh, the top three in the Big 12, right? Yeah, you probably deserve to be a top 15 team, in my opinion. So let's kind of go a little bit over into some other news here. We've got some more hot takes, and we, you know, we like to kind of cover different hot takes and stuff like that on the podcast. So let's take a look at one here. Iowa wins the Big 10. Well, here's the thing with that. They competed for the Big 10 last year, and they were... Started off pretty good, then they pretty much, you know, crapped the bed, so to say, down the stretch. Their offense has got to be better this year. They have got to figure out a way to finish off drives, not turn the ball over, and be consistent if they have any shot at winning the Big Ten. Here's the reality of the situation. I think they're going to be a great team that's going to be led by their defense, which, by the way, that defense is a turnover creating machine i mean they're, they've got one of the most underrated uh, defensive backs and riley moss i think in the country right we, we did a projection he is one of the most underrated players in the country they're going to be a good team i just don't think they're going to be good enough to keep pace with ohio state i think ohio state is fired up they're pissed off the same way bama is pissed off and they want to come out and they absolutely want to I mean, they want to go lay the wood to, to everybody in the Big Ten this year, right? They want to go. They cannot wait to rematch against Michigan. They're going to be fired up, and they're going to be ready to go take it to them, in my opinion. 
So, yeah, sorry, Iowa fans. Sorry, Michigan fans. I don't see them winning the Big Ten this year. All right, next up, I've got A&M beating uh, Bama. You know, look, I think it's a, a certainly an interesting take from the standpoint of the Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban beef that they were like, I'm not going to squash it. You know, Jimbo says, and then Saban's like, well, you know, I didn't really mean it like that, but you know, you were kind of whatever. And then the SEC media days, they come back out and they're like, oh, we've squashed it, whatever. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, let's cut through all that. You and I both know they haven't squashed anything, right? Uh, they are very much so in private, in preparation, you know, that week leading up to that game, because I, I think this is two teams that, you know, they are probably not talking about, at least Nick Saban is, and I know that, right? I don't know what Jimbo's doing, but I think he probably is a Saban disciple. He probably plays it the same way. They're Take it one team at a time. Let's focus on whoever we've got to play first. That's who I'm worried about. So leading, you know, in that week leading up to the game, they are absolutely going to use all of the bulletin board material for it. Let's get to the take on it, right? My take is, is this, right? If you're A&M, you're going to have to have a historically great game from everybody, right? But nobody more importantly than your quarterback. Now, the quarterback that they have, okay, that should be starting for him this year. He started last year, the first game, and like a couple of snaps in the second game. He threw more touchdowns last year against, I think it was Kent State of all teams. He threw more interceptions than touchdowns in that game against Kent State, right? So this kid's going to have to get off to a lot better start than that, right? He's going to have to do a lot better job, uh, especially against Alabama. All right. And like I said about Ohio State in the last take there, Alabama is pissed off. They did two things last year that they don't typically do. Okay. They don't typically lose to Texas A&M and they don't typically, okay. They don't typically lose national championships. Has it happened in the past? Yes. With Johnny Manziel and, you know, Clemson and Ohio State, you know, whatever have you. Right. Um, but they don't typically lose. So when they come off of losses, they're fired up, they're pissed off, and they are looking to go and absolutely prove themselves, which is one of the most dangerous things you can you can really, really do, I think, for a program. So uh, on my take on this, I don't think A&M gets past them. Again, I've said this. I think Bama's the team to beat this year. I think you know, A&M is probably... This is not their year. I've, I've, I'm saying this now. It's not. This is not their year. It's next year. It's next year when you get that number one recruiting class uh, some time to kind of breathe and sort of get experience, right, and figure out who your quarterback is, get him some experience, right? Here's my last hot take on for the channel, okay? Texas underperforms this year, and Sark is fired before the end of the year. That is probably one of the hottest takes that, that I've read since starting the show. So as long as, here's the reality of the situation. As long as Arch Manning is committed to play at the University of Texas, and dare I say, as long as he stays at the University of Texas, Steve Sarkeesian will have a job. Because the second that you go out and you fire Steve Sarkeesian, because if you're gonna if you're gonna fire me, you know, that's the leverage I have. Look, I got you Arch Manning, Arch freaking Manning, right? You fire me, he's leaving. He's gone. You know, he's gone. Guess what's gonna happen to all that talent that we had? If we can't win it now, we're never gonna win it. 
right? So he's got leverage there, and, and I like that for Steve, right? But here's the thing, right? As long as he keeps most of the talent that he's got, right, and, and all these nice recruiting classes that he's having in Austin and on the way, you know, hey, you know, in the uh, midseason recruiting rankings, you know, we're still number five in the recruiting rankings. You know, hey, last year we signed the number four recruiting class in the country to go alongside of the, the one of the best players and some of the best players in the country, right? As long as he does that and he has more than uh, seven wins a year for the next two to three years, he'll have a job. If he starts slacking outside of that, has less than seven wins a year, um, starts struggling and slo uh, sloping off, you know, starts having a lot of these guys transfer out, that could be a problem, right? We've covered that before on the show. We've talked about Texas. I, I said it and I'll say it again. There will be signs. You're going to start hearing a lot more room, uh, rumblings and, and grumblings, you know, from anonymous sources. You're going to start seeing kids transferring out, you know, really, really talented kids transferring out. It's going to seem like a bad breakup is going on and there's a lot of information coming out, right? But remember where there's smoke, there's fire. Flat Rock Sports presents Cruton Talk. We've got another awesome segment of Cruton Talk for you, so let's get into it. First up on the list, I've got Texas. Now, Texas just landed the number 25 offensive tackle in the country in Peyton Kirkland. Now, Peyton Kirkland is the number 274 player in the country, and that actually is going to keep them right up there at number four in, the, in this recruiting cycle. Next up on the list, we've got Texas A&M. Now, Texas A&M has gotten off to a little bit of a slow start after signing last year's number one class, but they're actually doing some good things right now as they just landed the number nine pro uh, offensive tackle in Chase Bisantis. He's the number 62 player in the country, and that helps bring them up from in the mid-70s now to the number 58 class in the country. They're making up ground pretty quick. Lastly, we've got Georgia. Now, Georgia lands the number 10 offensive guard in the country in Kelton Smith. Now, Kelton Smith is the number 218 player in this class and helps give the dogs the number three class overall. So Georgia's making up ground also, like we've been talking about, pretty quickly right now. When we go back and we're looking at the other recruiting rankings, and we always break that down daily here for you, nothing has really changed thus far, right? Seems like week in, week out, we see a little bit of movement but it's kind of a, a shuffling throughout the season that we're going to continue to see how that shakes out. Flat Rock Sports presents Hunt's Hot Seat. We've got a great segment of Hunt's Hot Seat right now for you guys. So let's go ahead and break it down, right? I've got Louisville coach Scott Satterfield on the hot seat today, right? Now, it's going to be interesting as we get further into this, and I kind of give you some reasons why he's... You know, his name is being floated out there on the hot seat, but I don't I don't know if the guy's really actually on the hot seat or not, right? Let me break it down for you. He's going into his third year at Louisville. He has an 18 and 19 record overall in two years there. He's gone uh, eight and five his first year. Second year, he went four and seven. Then last year, he went six and seven with a bowl loss. Now, he has a 4-1 record in bowl games. Now, Scott Satterfield has a really good record out there, right? It's should be no surprise, right? Like, when you actually look, I mean, the guy, can he's got the five bowl games. He's won four of them. He, dang, he does a pretty good job, right? You know, here's the other side of this that we're looking at. He has a 69-43 and 43 overall record. 
Currently, as it sits right now, he has the number 17 recruiting class in the country. All right, that is major. Unlike most of these other coaches that we're looking at, he actually has a decently high recruiting class ranking right now. Uh, I think of all the coaches we've covered, he's actually had the highest, you know, recruit, uh, recruiting rankings right now that we've looked at. Now, since he's been there, he's averaged the 44th be uh, best class, okay, since taking over the school, right? Now, Louisville has been known, I'll say this, Louisville has been known for some great players, and you probably wouldn't even realize they played there, right? Johnny Unitas, Lamar Jackson, and Dion Branch. Now, Dion Branch, for some people that don't know, he was a wide receiver for the Patriots back in the day, right? When they started winning Super Bowls, right? So they have some really good players. You know, it's a really surprising list of guys that, <laughs> that went there. They have one Heisman winner. That was uh, Lamar Jackson, who we just mentioned. Now let's break his, his actual hot seat rating down for this, okay? I went back and forth. Originally, I gave him a nine, but you know what? The more I, I slept on it and I thought about it a little bit more, and here's what I came up with. I'm going to give him a six. I'm going to explain why. I'm giving him a six. Okay, first of all, the reason why I wanted to give him a nine was fans were starving. Fan, Louisville fans, Kentucky fans in general, are starving for a national championship in football, to be relevant again in football. Okay, they're known as basketball, basketball schools down there, right, in Kentucky. You know, they've won a lot of national championships. They're prominent every single year, it seems like. But they, this is a school that's never won a national championship in football, and they are starving for one, right? Okay, here's the other side of this, right? It was leaked. Okay, it was leaked uh, not this last year, but in the four and seven year, in the middle of that four and seven year, that he was flirting with other job offers. Okay. The reason why I gave this a six on the boldness scale, right, of this whole thing was, look, if you're in a relationship and you're out here and somebody catches you uh, texting somebody that you're not supposed to be texting and they stay with you, well, it means they're probably going to stay with you through thick and thin, right? So that's kind of the same way with it. I don't see Scott Satterfield being in any danger here of, of getting necessarily fired should, unless they keep posting like four and seven, three and eight records, right? So which I think if you go back and look at his, his coaching record, it's, it's one-offs, but it's still worth noting. Okay, here's the thing. Right now, the ACC, I mean, it looks, depending on how you look at it, it looks like he can take advantage of this retooling that's going to be happening in the next couple years with the ACC, right? Clemson's at the top. Then you got all the Carolina schools we've mentioned on the podcast, you know, the Wake Forest, the NC State's. Um, you know, all those schools that are out there, he can take advantage of that, right? Here's what he has to do. He has to be able to try to compete before Miami gets relevant again. Okay, that's all he has to do. He can't be middle of the pack. He's got to try to compete with the Carolina schools, right? That's all he needs to do. Let's take another look at here. Okay, he needs to finish this cycle. Okay, he's number 17, right? He needs to finish inside of the top 20 in recruiting. And I think that'll, that'll help alleviate some of that pressure fans are feeling i'm going to recommend that they actually keep him and i'm going to explain why right when he came in when he came to louisville he was actually one of the most sought after coaches that was out there okay he was a sought after name and a lot of people wanted him so uh, louisville got him and you got to think who else is going to be 
potentially better than him, right? Every year we do this weird song and dance in the off season where, you know, uh, schools will fire a coach and they'll bring somebody in and they hype him up to be better than the, the last guy. But I mean, in the reality, at the end of the day, you don't really know until about year two, year three, what a guy is going to do. Just simply put. Um, you know, here's the other thing I want to say. I'm going to compare him to Mark Stoops. Okay. Mark Stoops is the rival coach over there at Kentucky. Same state, right? Stoops kind of had a similar sort of thing, right? It took him five years to win more than seven games in a season. I'm going to say that again. It took him more, it took him five years to win more than seven games in a season. Satterfield did that in his first year and he got close last year. I'm just saying, give him some time. Let's see what happens. Let's see what shakes out and have a little bit of faith in the guy, right? But with that being said, that's actually going to conclude this episode of the Flat Rock Sports Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Christian Hunt, and we'll catch you next time.